yo, yo, what up and welcome back. This is Feeling Film, the Black Label, a film critics roundtable for the culture. It's good to be back. It's good to be black. And rocking the mic this evening, I've got in the Pacific Northwest, my man Kales, a.k.a. Black Nerd Magic. What up, though? What's happening? Yes, sir. And also, up in the Pacific Northwest, we've got Miss Erin Hundley. How you doing, Queen? Hi, guys. Hey. And in the Midwest, my man, E-Man himself, from E-Man's Movie Reviews. E-Man. Salutations, good people. Y'all faces again. Always. You know, I haven't had a shave in a while, but yeah, it's good to see y'all too. Quarantine look. Y'all can't real because uh, oh, you know, I was talking, I was talking junk since I last recorded, but I did go to the barbershop. Lucky you, Georgians. I mean, I know your state loves opening stuff. Get your state together. Mm -hmm. No, no, but like I, I would give props to my barber for you know safely opening up his business, practicing social distancing, and being responsible. Unfortunately, the way that the world is right now, things are opening up whether we like it or not. All we can can do is like really control what we can control and be smart. And um, like off wax, Aaron had mentioned like, yo, we are like being put in a place where we're just gonna change so many different behavioral habits going forward. And I think this is a good thing. So I think there's a lot of silver linings to be taken from this. Um, I don't know what's true and what isn't. All I know is like I'm gonna limit my physical interactions with as many people as possible, you know, and I'll keep it going from there. And uh, I already do that. <laughs> Even before COVID nineteen, I was already doing that. There you go. Yeah. I'm I'm down with that. I, I actually went to Target today. And I noticed that as you walk in, now they have more hand sanitizer machines and stuff, which is kind of what I've been saying. Like, I'm pretty sure more businesses will start to do things like that. You know, more wipes, more hand sanitizers. It's just unfortunate that people are still being people. I mean, I've, you know, in our city, you know, everybody is uh, mandated to wear face masks to even go into large spaces like grocery stores and stuff and people will wear the mask and take them right off as they're in the store and i'm like what are we doing here but whatever for those that don't know how these masks and gloves work one do not wear your mask in the car that's not what you're supposed to do two do not wear your gloves in the car do not touch your phone with your gloves like it, is, it boggles my mind. The amount and of it's supposed to store. cover both your mouth and your nose. That Jesus, is please. Yes. Yes. I actually and disregard also, those other points, though. The other one, like I wear it in the car just because I don't feel like touching my face and I wear my gloves, too. But okay. I disinfect and throw those things out before okay. I go to the house. Okay. So that but is very, very you, the, the problem is more about whether or not your steering wheel and the things that you're touching in your yeah. car with your gloves on yeah. are disinfected. Right. Less well, about you I, bring it into the house, but you going yeah. out public and touching things with those gloves. Right. I mean, for me, I carry Clorox wipes in my car, so I'm disinfecting before and after. Like I, I'm just kind of a germaphobe yeah. like that. 
and I've taken microbiology, so I actually know how these things work. So for me, I'm, a the cell. I'm just saying. But um, but no, some people literally don't get what you're saying, Kobe, and that's a problem because they'll be having their gloves on and eating food <laughs> right after. And I'm just like, <laughs> Yeah, and also people have to realize that it, you can't just keep reusing the same mask over and over again. Like it's, they say that, they, yeah, they say after at least like five hours, it's no good. After that, like you have to put it into a dryer or you have to throw it away or something. The like problem, that. the <laughs> problem that we run into though is that, like I have, so I have medical masks. Uh, thankfully, I have a couple of them because um, I have to go to the doctor every three months to get my prescriptions refilled. I have to physically go into the doctor. They're not ones that I can get refills for. So I actually have to see my doctor. It used to be every month, but now we have me on a three-month cycle. So thankfully, they gave me a couple. Unfortunately, like buying masks online right now, you don't have the ability to really do that. So it's like when people are like, well, they don't work after you wear them for five hours or five instances. Well, Something is still better than nothing. So some people may not be able to afford or don't have the luxury of being able to wait to see if something can get ordered online. So if you do have a mask and you don't have those luxuries, then yes, please continue to reuse it because it is still better than nothing. Yeah, However, you just be go aware to a park that in New York and the cops will give you one. Really? Are you sure they just won't beat the crud out of you like they're doing to other black people in New York? They're oh, not no, doing it to the nice people. white people in the, in the parks that just need to go home really safe and soundly. <laughs> but the people that are sitting on their porch having a cigarette, all of a sudden, they're on the face game. You're on the floor getting their face kicked in. But hey, so, that's another conversation. So this episode is all about <laughs> all day and all night. All day and all night. enough has got you. In it. I was like, that was my segue into this conversation. <laughs> that was a three chest move, like segue right there. Oh, a three chest. Wait, wait, oh. I always think it was, a, it was a two pronged approach. Keenan Ivory, right. Ivory Wayne's message. <laughs> a whole, a whole left hard turn. Okay, all right. She look, planted the idea. She did an inception. She planted the idea in our head. There she you go. All right, all day. All night. It's the movie all on day, Netflix. All uh, night. Sorry, uh, Ashton. What's the guy's name? Ashton. Ashton Sanders. Ashton Sanders. I don't know why that name is so hard Jeffrey. for me to like say. Like Ashton Sanders. It's too much. Like the, it, I feel like he he need, It should be something else. I think it's Alshon, don't you? That's I what know. I. That's. <laughs> I do want to say. <laughs> but uh, Ashton, Ashton Sanders, Sanders uh, Jeffrey Wright, yeah. uh, is Yaya written Putin. by uh, uh, Cole. Uh, Joe Robert Cole. Robert Cole, who is the um, co-writer of Black Panther. And um, so, yeah, I mean, like, Kales, what was your initial take on it? I might be the only one, but I have to say that this is probably the most realistic depiction of urban life I've seen since Men's Society. For me, um, when you see the early parts of the film, you know, there's an opening scene that just really rocks you and everything like that with the main character where he's killing these people. And at first I was like, okay, how am I supposed to like really like be connected or like tied down with this person after seeing like a monstrous act like this? But then over time, you're seeing in the film is that it's showing you the factors that 
that can cause somebody to go down the wrong path. And like, this is not just for like us as a black audience to see, but this is also for like, you know, people who have the ignorant view that black people are just genetically predest, like destined to just be monsters or beasts or commit crimes or that violence is just an inherent nature inside of us. You know, this film shows you that, hey, you know, if you grow up in the wrong kind of environment, if you don't have the right role models to listen to, if you, if you're just seeing like all this trauma all around you and you see the dysfunction, this is all you see, then how are you expected to go down a different road? I mean, you got to have somebody that can pull you out of that and like show you a different path. But Ashton Sanders, the character he plays is um, Jacor. He doesn't, he doesn't have that. He's essentially trapped. And in a sense, he knows he's trapped, but he's trying really, really hard to get out. You know, we've seen that hood narrative over and over again. You know, we've seen Boys in the Hood. We, we've seen Men's Society. We've seen Juice. We've seen so many other films where, like, young black youths are just thinking about how they can get out of the hood, how they can get out of the projects, how they can, like, live a better life. And for Shakur, you know, he has those aspirations, too. But, you know, with all of the things he's seen, all the rage and anger he has built inside of him, there's... And it does come to also come down to his own decision making. Like the film doesn't just put it all on society and everything. Like it's like no, you this dude made some a, a lot of bad decisions. Like he's responsible for where he's ended up, but also he made those bad decisions because of the environmental factors that were apprehending him. And now we'll get to into the ending. I can't defend this film in the ending because ending is just trash and like just very kind of generic and cheesy, even though it's poetic. And I do love the narration. I do love the the look into his internal thoughts and everything. I might be the only one with that, but I love that aspect of like narration in the film. But I think honestly, it was a great film. It has its shortcomings. We'll get to that, but I honestly thought it was great. All right, a few thoughts. <laughs> well, I definitely agree that the racism that it's now institutionalized in this country, but especially in those neighborhoods is something that people need to be aware of. My concern is the people that need to be aware of it are not going to see this movie. So that, that is another thing that needs to be, and I'm not saying that means that a movie shouldn't be made, but at the end of the day, if that's what you're trying to do, as we've spoken about previously, we've all had movies of black people being in gangs seeing devastation and trauma in their neighborhood and not breaking the cycle. I don't think at this point, like even though there were moments that I thought the depiction of it was good and well done or well-timed, I don't know necessarily that this movie serves any purpose right now. I don't really see it doing anything to develop a conversation further than what with, with any new information than what we already have or bringing new audiences to the table. Again, art should be made for art's sake, so I'm not saying that it should not have been made because there were moments that I actually did very much enjoy in the movie. However, I don't necessarily see it furthering any conversations about institutionalized racism like like what you're saying. Um, it is important, definitely, and I do think that it's not it's something that a lot of people a lot of people like to ignore the cycle of trauma and abuse that happens in these neighborhoods. Um, I just don't think that it did a good a good enough job of either conveying the desperation that comes in these situations, because, I mean, it, it had a lot of storylines that really went nowhere. And I think that they built up tension in some areas only to literally do nothing with it. They built up compassion and empathy in other areas only to do nothing with it. So I just feel like they had a lot of 
paths to choose from and they should have only maybe had two or three, but they had like five to seven. And I think because of that, the overall message of it, whether it has to do with institutionalized racism or not, gets lost in that discussion um, because it's now about whether or not it has anything to do with his music career or the fact that he got a woman pregnant, which, in my opinion, was really just completely unnecessary because she actually didn't play any role in it except for making him mad about the other rapper that she slept with and he has on video, which was, again, super creepy, like and unnecessary, in my opinion. Um, I thought they should have just stuck with the JD plotline and the TQ plotline. Those were the two important ones, really, that that blended in there. The story with his friend that was in, I'm trying not to ruin anything, but like the story of his friend that ended up in the army, again, didn't really go anywhere, but did lend an empathetic tone to the to the film in some ways. But again, those scenes were very short lived. So like I would have liked to have seen more of that balance between who he wanted to be and the reality of what he had to live with and who like it was almost like you said that lane like there were two lanes and unfortunately he literally watched one lane close before his eyes. So what was the point of even thinking that that lane existed? So I really would have wished there would have been a lot more of a dichotomy between the two in order to really sell that institutionalized racism path. All good. Yep. 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 All right. So I'll, I'll kind of piggyback off of both of you guys here. And um, so, you know, first and foremost, I think the biggest issue with this movie is uh, the approach that was taken. So within the approach, I mean, it, it, I almost had the sense that uh, Joe Robert Cole really wanted to do his best John Singleton impression, you know, with this film. Um, it, it, it feels like a menace to society light. You know, um, but it just never really captures the gravity and the weight that it thinks it wants to achieve. And I think the the bigger the, the underlying problem is in the storytelling, because the writing of the film, you can tell there were all these different nuggets but kind of like how Aaron was talking about, they didn't go anywhere. And some of them, I think anyway, this is my interpretation, I think they were allegorical for other situations. So the rap career, the friend that didn't end up going anywhere or the friend that was the bad influence and, you know, things like that. Or uh, the uh, school educational system that didn't help or the retail job that didn't help, you know. Those, I thought, represented the lack of options or they were they were dead ends where, OK, I'm trying to go be a rapper so I can get out the hood. Nah, that's not happening. I tried or my friend tried to do this thing, this positive thing in his life. And look what happened to him. Nah, that's not an option for me either. So everywhere the main character, Jacor turns, there's always a dead end there. And it's kind of like, you know what? If I'm going to be here, I might as well just I, I don't have any other options. And given like, you know, the final reveal of the story and, you know, when you find out Jacor's motivation for the action that he takes in the beginning of the movie, um, I feel like a lot of the impact was lost. Uh, a lot of the impact from the reveal and the dynamics between his friend uh, TQ were lost and I think a lot of that has to do with the structure of the storytelling. Um, one thing that kind of struck me was when I got done watching the movie and the credits were playing, I was sitting here like, oh, OK, 
I know these things now. And then, you know, for whatever reason, my Netflix just like restarted and I started watching the movie like for the first quarter all over again. And things started to make more sense. You know, like you actually start to notice little things like um, the very first time uh, Malcolm's name is mentioned in the movie and you see Jacor's face. He lights up or he, he has an expression. And now these things start to make sense because of the sequential order and the editing in the film. It didn't make sense in the beginning, but now on the rewatch, it does. And sometimes when a movie is sophisticated enough, those type of things are kind of like, oh, wow, it's got a deeper level. But this movie isn't that deep. It's just not structured well, you know, because, again, like a lot of the emotional things that are supposed to hit you. They just kind of lackluster, you know, but what I'll say about the film is that I do appreciate how it tries to put a face on systemic oppression. Um, It tries to put a face on that school to prison pipeline that does, you know, become an issue, especially for uh, impoverished black neighborhoods. Um, I think, you know, because I actually did get a chance to. Uh, interview uh, the cast you know uh, it was Joe Robert Cole Jeffrey Wright and Ashton and you know just kind of listening to what Cole wanted from this I'm like I see what you want I hear what you want you just didn't know how to execute it as a director as a writer it's one thing because at least a director could come in chop it up mix it up put it in front of your face and then you capture it. So what Aaron was talking about earlier about how, you know, this is not necessarily going to convey that message, um, you know, of hope or humanity or whatever. Like, I, I don't think it did. And I and it it bothered me that it wasn't until like maybe the very end of the film that we start to see some of the fatherhood, you know, themes like really try to like now they're trying to come into play. You know, um, some of the masculinity, you know, themes were kind of introduced in the beginning with like the very abusive stuff, but then kind of changed a little bit. And I'm just like, do you want to emphasize this or not? You know, because if that's what you're trying to do, you're missing me because we just took a whole long detour with Sunna and with this person and, and dealing with that person, the rapper who I have no idea why we even dealt him at all. Like, it was just like there were too many lanes. You know, forget the options in the guy's life, in Jacor's life. It was just too many side stories, and it was not focused enough um, to really just drive home something simple. And I think when you can drive in, drive home that simple concept of whether it's masculinity, fatherhood, um, or the systemic situations that have got you in your environment, you know, all caught up and stuff, you can tell a more effective story. And I don't think this accomplished that at the end of the day. So it was okay, but I could have done without it. This movie had the full potential to be an eight out of 10 on a Kobe Tomy scale. That's a great movie as it got going. And it was a little rough from the start. And like, I remember like, I love taking notes I will say the, the one, the one upside to me watching more, streaming content because i'm not in a movie theater due to covid is that i don't feel guilty about taking notes now because i'm like not trying to like huddle and hide like ah, i can do it 
right? And like I remember, like literally, I said, "Yo, so the dialogue is, and the music is, well, it's just starting." We all kind of mention lanes. I want to kind of pick up on that, right? This film and the balancing act that Joe Robert Cole is doing, balancing the lanes that he's taken as a writer and as a director, he's losing focus because essentially he's trying to go in too many different places and there's too many characters to really focus on the crux of what this movie's trying to say, right? This movie has a lot to say. And what I realized at the end of it this would have been better served as a Netflix TV series. 10 to 13 episodes to really spend time in understanding, one, from a directorial standpoint, what is the world that you are showing us and how do you want how do you want us to interpret it, right? And interpret that through the story that you tell with your images. We spend a bulk of this film moving between in time from this part of you know South you know of South Central LA, what is this? It's Compton, right? Somewhere. Inglewood. Yeah. Inglewood. Right. Yeah. South, South, South Central, right? Um, and then obviously, you know, inside of prison, right? And mm-hmm. that's basically where we are in between these two spaces. And we know that our focal character is Jacor. What I found really unique was the fact that early on we were in we were we were with we were spending time with these three friends. And I was wondering to see what does this area do to these three friends in the framework of like what Jacor's perspective is. Like, is Jacor in the middle, and then you have, was it Lamarck? Was it in the wheelchair? Was that his name? Lamarck, yeah, right? Yeah, Lamarck. So Lamarck is, I mean, of course, as a little kid, you know, a little light-skinned kid. I guess you would call him a little square. Pretty much who I grew what, what I was when I grew up, right? Like, that, I was like, oh, that's Lamarck. That's me, right? Like, ah, you know, I could have done some bad stuff, but I decided not to, right? And then, of course, you got, was it TJ? JT? TQ. TQ. Sorry, that's... <laughs> I'm doing sign language Yo, over here. Thinking that you're all fluent. Like, <laughs> TQ, right? And TQ was like a little bad about, you know? So, like, I was I was hoping to see throughout the film Jacor struggling between who he should be. And I never got that struggle. I always felt like he was more pulled into TQ and his way of living. And I never, like, saw a battle with that, right? And I thought there was, it was even really those unclear. scenes when he was a kid, though, like even like there was Lamarck and him walking home. Mm-hmm. He's they stopped to talk to TQ and he's yeah. like, you want to go like punch the crud out of these people's cousins? And yeah, Lamarck oh, I, I remember, I, was I the only great person because Lamarck was like, what did their you cousins go do? Jump one of their cousins? Yeah. And Lamarck was like, like what yeah. did their cousins do? And I love that. Moment. Absolutely. Love that moment, actually, I thought, it was was very, like, I, I thought it was very, very like important to call yeah. that out. That really he was, was just like, you're just going to hurt somebody else because of a relation, but they didn't do anything to you. So I thought it was and a very, was a, very smart call out. The narration, I came around to it. It was a lot. Heavy narration in this film. But one of the one of my favorites on this movie says, after, and it was right after that scene, when violence is all around you, that's all you know. And like, you could spend an entire episode just focusing on that. What does that mean, right? And like, where does the violence come from? And I mean... You know, it's funny enough because in a little bit we're going to be talking about, you know, uh, Black AF and every episode title is it's because of slavery. And like as I'm watching this movie, I'm like, oh, it's because of slavery and the systemic racism and oppression that's been built with inside of this system. 
you know. I, like, I know listeners cannot see my phone, but the <laughs> one of the two lines that I wrote down from this movie was, slavery taught people how to survive, but not how to live. Yes. There's some, there's so many poignant lines of dialogue inside this film, even though I'm not a big fan of the writing. And it's because I there's think just a, moments a, got a, lost. Yeah. It got they really, did. it got lost. Like, but yeah. like the moments that hit hit really well. I just think, I think that the multiple characters and the multiple storylines, it just muddles some of that yeah. message. So does, I don't know if I would like to see it as a series, mm-hmm. like you were saying, but I yeah. do think that based on what I saw from the movie, it would be better fit as a series. I just don't know whether or not I'd want, I don't, I don't know if I had seen, like the first two episodes, if it had played mm-hmm. out similarly to the first act of this movie, I don't know if I would have continued watching. Well, That's Kalesha, the only difference. Kalesh, I'll ask you this. I think where I look at it and how it benefits from a series is spending time with these characters to really understand how, like, what impact do they have on Jakor? Because everybody felt so kind of tangential to like what his, and like where he ends up at the end of the film. And, yo, know, the performance in this film from like, Ashton Sanders as Jacor from Jeffrey Wright for the most part was really good. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, it is so hard to see Jeffrey Wright play, <laughs> play this. Mm, <laughs> man. I like how they set him up though. And it was that one quick line from Ashton mm-hmm. or from Jacor where he was like, you know, people say that he's too light to be my dad. Yeah. So he spent so much time trying to act harder just to not only, you know, just to prove that he's black. So there was a little bit of a little colorism, colorism, which definitely ties into our next topic, too. Yeah. And Yaya Abdul-Mateen as Stunner, like he was really, really good. Grills and all like just his little quirks would cook. Yo, I wanted to try them devil eggs so bad. They look so good. I hate eggs. I hate eggs. But when he gave him that choice, he's like, you hungry? You going to take care of this? Or I got some like barbecue spare ribs I got some in the smothered back. pork chops I was like, in the I'll back. take those instead. Like, I'm hungry for that. But, Kales, do you think, like, spending more time with those other characters and how they could have added to Jacor's story would have benefited more? No, as I'm looking back on it, it would have benefited a whole lot more. Um, the frustrating relationship that I actually wanted to get Bill was the relationship between him and his girlfriend. Um, you know, she gets introduced in the film. She comes in there and she's like, hey, um, I'm pregnant and stuff. And we see them in a lovey-dovey scene. I was like, OK, so we're probably going to be able to build and see where this goes. But over time, you only see like maybe two or three scenes with them together. And then it's like the one good scene. They have a good scene. And then the next scene, it's like, oh, he's being really nasty to her and then like they want to break up and everything but i do like that they did bring up the double standards between men and women when it comes to things like sex you know um in the movie the girl i i can't remember his uh, the his girlfriend's character's name um yeah tay i'm gonna call it tay so tay yeah she um well jacor is hanging out with one of his boys and his boys is like oh you know your girl you know she's been on the internet and stuff and he so shows her video of her being like you know engaging in sex with two other men and so like a champ son like i I, he was so straight up (laughs) i'm I'm sorry you you could not do that to me and like i want to say live to see the next day but like we gonna have to have a conversation you disrespectful I don't care how big you is. You're not showing me no video of my girl doing anything. Oh, gosh. No, I was surprised that he he didn't go with a fade on him. But anyway, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> so he, so Jacor goes and shows his girlfriend this, and she's telling him why. Like I was, at, I was in a tough time in my life. Like you know, my dad had let my dad had passed away and everything, and you know, I was going through some things. And also, we wasn't even together during this. So why are you like caring about it? And then he tells her like, oh, I don't want to be, I don't want to be like in a relationship with a hoe, or I don't want the mother of my kid to be a hoe like he has the authority mm-hmm. to kind of choose what she does with her body and or what she even did before she or her past because yes. men have it's it's a pride issue it yes. all comes down to pride 100%. and we i mean we can definitely speak to the issues that pride has within the black community that's a very big problem i know that i even personally have had issues with pride but like like you said it's a double standard number one and number two like it's the fact that he probably doesn't have an issue because technically what's his what's his rapper butt said that it, the video existed. He didn't confront Tay until he showed him the video. So the problem wasn't that Tay actually was, quote unquote, hoeing around beforehand. The problem was this guy was showing the video of it. So mm-hmm. what he actually had an issue was the pride of being associated with a woman who's being seen in this video by people he knows. The video already existed. He already knew it existed and didn't say anything. It's the fact that now people he knows could know about his person's past and he couldn't do anything about it either so he figured Mm -hmm. that he would go to his girl and try to all right i am now losing power in this situation because i cannot act on this with this guy knowing how he's how he's related to malcolm and stuff like that so let me go ahead and try to exert my dominance over you and put you down so i could try to feel better so it was definitely tough like that that connection was completely lost i thought it was so strong how I thought like because she thought in a second inside of that hot tub scene, I'm going to tell you that I'm pregnant and I've seen how a lot of these films can go. And he was elated. He was genuinely happy to be starting a family, even at such a young age. And I feel like we did not get the chance to see that relationship envelop in like a fruitful way that really made it matter, especially to where he ends up at the end of the film. And, And honestly, like it's so tough when we get to the end of the film because in, in, you know, early in the film, I mean, we initially see him make this decision to take somebody's life. And the entire film, there's a mystery of, well, what was the reason why? And it's, it's not a dialogue. spoiler for the listeners. It's oh, not a yeah, spoiler not. because you figure it out in the first like five minutes. Yeah. It, yeah. And, and also <laughs> inside of the screenplay, it says people ask, do you want to know why? But they don't really want to know why. And I literally said, no, <laughs> I really want to know why. And like. It's metaphorical. Time. It's like people people ask why why That's somebody right. did something so horrific because they think it will bring them closure, but right. knowing the answer doesn't actually bring anybody closure. It just answers the question. And that's what he's trying to say is nobody actually wants to know why because the why doesn't really matter. Yeah, but the oh, why I, I took it differently. Matters. I thought it was cuz <laughs> I thought they would ask the question but they don't really want to know the truth because if you knew the truth, it would probably shed some light of accountability. It would tarnish the memory problem. of your child. Exactly. Yeah. And know, I, so. I definitely, so that is what I thought the, so when I first saw the line and it's that scene in court and, and she says that and he responds in turn, I thought that was the same thing as I was like, Oh, this is going to be some gangsta mess oh gosh it's so hard to not curse uh, like i was like this is gonna be something like that and he doesn't want to say it, and that's why but then i realized as the movie went on that it was more about knowing why isn't gonna bring your child back knowing right. why isn't gonna make you mm-hmm. forgive me knowing why i ended up in prison isn't gonna change the fact that i'm still in prison 
So right. it was like, it, it all comes down to the choices that you make and living with them and less about trying to find closure. And I actually ended up having a discussion with somebody like a week or two ago about you have to find closure on your own because you can't even guarantee that if your closure is dependent on another person, that that person will ever give you that closure. So or you enough. Exactly. Like it's never, nothing is ever going to be enough. I'm sorry. Like no matter what anybody says, like you lose somebody, especially now in this time of great loss for this country and everything that's happening, like no explanation. Even if you found out who patient zero was that infected your relatives, it's not going to bring your relatives back, unfortunately. So the closure that you need to have is about the fact that unfortunately this person's no longer here. So I feel like the movie, it's a double layer where, yeah, it may shed some light and some truth on that person knowing the answer why. But at the end of the day, what is that truth going to do for you? Nothing. So you really don't need to know why. I think that's good. I I wish the film would also have done a better job at the truth behind the why is important and can shed some light on what we're talking about, like, you know, systemic racism and oppression. But at the same time, how much that our personal choices also influence that. And I almost felt like that the film was kind of scapegoating, like, oh, well, you know, Jacor was kind of born into this and that's why. But there's still like I could have been a product of being born in Richmond Heights in Miami. Right. And being completely influenced by growing up impoverished. Right. And then allowing, you know, my environment to completely socialize and culture the way that I think. And it's, there's a lot of different factors for everybody. And I moved from one hood in Florida up to a different hood in New York. And you know what I'm saying? So like, it's still, uh, it, 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 there's personal accountability there too that matters. And I do not feel that this film did a good enough job at really underscoring how much that personal accountability plays into it as well, along with those environmental factors. So I'll, I'll disagree. I do think okay. that it did try to, I mean, that was the entire point yeah. of his narration. You know, the, now, Jacor might not have gotten it, but we got some insight as to why he ended up doing certain things and how he came to a lot of those decisions. I mean, we found out why he's violent because of his abusive, you know, uh, uh, situation with his father. We found out why he. Uh, you know, he tried to take personal accountability. He tried to go get a job. He tried to do his music career. He tried to be more fatherly, I guess, you know, by being elated and excited to support his, you know, his, his baby mama and stuff like that. Like he tried that, but I think for him, it, the weight of the situations around him was just too much. And he was just kind of like, so I don't want to say it's a scapegoat because I do think some people will interpret it that way. But at the same time, it is a factor. And that's all it is. It's just a factor. It's a factor where when, when, you know, at a young age, you're physically abused and and verbally abused on a constant basis. It's a factor when, when you're in school and your teacher just gives up on you because of other extraneous, you know, situations because she's got 30 students and it's only her and she only has 15 books and not enough for everyone. Like, you know, that's a problem. It's a lot of different situations. But I did love his mother's response, though. His mother was like, say I one more time. Like, this conversation is not about you. Say I one more time. And then imagine, like, man, what would happen if 
his grandmother was to be in his life a little bit longer. No, but like here's the thing. Yeah, you know, it, like, we, but we've heard these stories before. We've yeah. heard stories how it, it, I think it was um ooh and forgive me if this is a bad uh, quotation or story. I think it was Dennis Rodman who was talking about how he was coming up and how he was homeless, living on the street, doing this, doing that. But it was like one person in his life that told him like, yo, you need to go to school. You got to get education, whatever. He went to school, started playing basketball more, and then boom, everything started. So the real question is kind of like, what if one of those factors were to change? What if he had gotten on when he with his rap career? What if Lamarck, you know, actually recovered and got out of the hood because of the military. Maybe Jacor would have been like, oh, there's an option. What if his teacher actually believed in him, did, you know, that extra mile, tutored him, do whatever, and maybe he, you know, academics would be his career. Like, there were a lot of different things that just did not work right for him, and it's 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 suffocating, you know, because when, when people are put in situations and they can't see beyond their immediate environment, they're going to resort to the only thing they know. And what was the very first thing we saw with him? Violence. Violence at school, violence at home. There's that's all that he knows. Real so quick, remind me, remind yeah. me, because I, I think I was soured on the film more. And I, I could be wrong. And I'll have three other voices to let me know. And then we'll kind of move on. Um, did Lamarck like his condition deteriorating? Did that happen directly before? That's the, the most the most emotional scene in the film for me was him beating up the steering wheel inside the car after he was going over to Stella's mm-hmm. house. So did 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 he come from the hospital from Lamarck right before that? Because I'm trying to put together how did he go from this <sighs> emotional outburst I and then saying, "Yo, I'm ready to go ahead and pop Malcolm." No, I didn't see the scene happen, but it didn't happen before he went to right. that drive. It was like there was a few scenes beforehand. So that's I, that's I that ordering. That's okay. the editing so and was... sto- storytelling that I was talking about. So that disjointedness made those actions feel like such a disconnect where I'm like, okay, I understand the emotionality of preceding events culminating to a point where I feel like nothing is working for me. And I feel like. Everything that you just said, E, makes so much sense, but this film did not stress that in a way that felt one. This film is not cinematic. It's quite, it's quite boring, you know, in in, in the way that it's set up. It, it, it like there's good stuff there. It's just it's not interesting. Like there's not there's not enough happening because because of the editing and because of the way that the story structure is. It's like oh, I'm gonna have this emotional outburst that is done so well. You're inside the car, you feel it, and then he makes this decision that seems so out of like it seems so out of his character to make and there was nothing that like there's nothing that happened that said oh this is the force of that you know i feel i feel like he only ended up doing that because that was the only thing that was in his control you know he 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 couldn't he couldn't control his outcomes with school or with his family life um he couldn't control uh uh we kind of touched on it his his baby mama in her past you know, and his ego. He couldn't control that. This was the one thing that... But Stunner was shocked. Stunner was like, oh, wait, what? You want to you do what? Right, right. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, this was the only thing that he could do that would be some sort of remedy for the chaos in his life, which was, let me take care of this guy. You know, 
that was it. Now, of course, once we see why, you know, and, and the connection uh, to his motivation, it was kind of like, OK, I see how that could satisfy an emotional void, because I think Jacor looked at Malcolm as you're the reason why I'm here. You screwed up my dad. You screwed up this. You screwed up that. You Like, it's your fault that all of this stuff is happening in some way, shape or form. So, no, um, I get all of your points. I get all your points, but I mean, for me, I mean, I'm the only one standing on this mountain. I mean, I love the film. I love it. I mean, Ashton Shander should get more opportunities, like Timothy um, Chamalet. Like, I think he's almost in that same spirit as him, talent wise. But he's not getting the roles that he okay, needs. Okay, wait, no, biggest... we're gonna stop. We're gonna I cannot stop. wait. I can't. I can't wait. <laughs> No, Did I, 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 I will tell you. No, no, the no. the the the, the, the Chalamet fans will come for Chevrolet, like the car Chevrolet. Is All right, I'm a big fan. Chevrolet? I'm a big fan of Chalamet. I we, love Call Me by Your Name, and I'm ready to do. Aaron, okay, Aaron, like, we we got to call up to the to the you next should, level. Aaron, you Aaron, you're gonna have to take this out. You're gonna have to take this out, Aaron. We have to protect Kales right now. Uh, Aaron, no, Aaron, no, those fans, Salve those fans, fans are savage. For him, but yeah, no, come for he, him. we love Ashton Sanders. He's actually a very big fan of Timothy's. <laughs> I mean, Timothy Chevrolet and Chamolet <laughs> and Chamolet—they're <laughs> all fantastic. Hey, Aaron, Aaron, we got another edit. We got another edit. We got a. Yeah. <laughs> hey, y'all! This is E Man. It was not me. I know it's Chamolet. I know that. Leave me out of this. Okay, Timmy. Timmy. You were right. Timmy. He's in the realm of Chamolet, Lucas Hedges, yes. you know, Shamik Moore, like in that ilk. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't put him up there, but he's still young. He's still young. You know, like I didn't I care think for it's him about in Captain State. At potential. Don't don't put him in a category until he's earned it, in my opinion. But if you yeah. think he could be, that's different than you saying he is. I think that he needs to develop. I think that if he continues to get roles like this, he can continue to develop. I would like to see some expansion from him. Definitely just as we've, we've experienced, you know, we've talked about other people. Like, I would love to see him look at characters with more depth, characters that, I mean, I don't want to say that are stereotypical because I do feel like this character had a little bit more depth than general gangster movies would have. But I would love to see him branch out of into a role like, um, oh, what is his name from Widows and Black Panther? Oh, and, oh yeah. Daniel Thank Kaluuya. you. Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah. So yeah. I would love to not, see branch, branching out into different styles <laughs> of film. Not even styles of character necessarily, but different types of films I think is and important. He's, he's yeah. very young. He's very yeah. young. Um, Guys you know, when, when I when I I mean, he's like 24. So like when I... um interviewed him you know he was still shy you know what i'm saying like this he's so he's got a lot of growing and getting comfortable uh in his own skin i think because what i saw in this performance i already saw this in moonlight in some way shape or form you know except this was obviously a little bit more violent and a little bit more you know given the nature of the uh story but i didn't I, i would like to see more range i'd like to see a little bit more of what he eventually can do before I can put them into any echelons, I guess, for now. But one, but one thing we can say is that Asher Sanders is black AF. Oh, I hey. like what you did there, sir. Hey. Hey. Ready? 
<laughs> Speaking of Black AF, y'all seen that show? Um, yes, I do. I do believe that uh, I was encouraged to watch a few episodes. Uh, yes, you were. Okay, Aaron, look, uh, you 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 the one that's got uh, notes on top of notes. So kick it off. Like, how how did you feel about it? What what stood out? Um, initial impressions. So did you see yourself in any character in this series? First, I actually. I would actually like to not start off because um, I am not black as black AF. Oh, it's really hard. It's gonna be hard not to say the actual word. Uh, should, should we actually go off? I think I'm a little darker than Colette. Maybe I don't know. Colette, we around. I'll, I'll go. I would say, like, I I would like to hear varying perspectives, especially given the controversy surrounding the show. But for me, I feel like there are portions of the show that were not written for me. And then, thankfully, though, because of Rashida, I feel like there are portions of the show that were written for me. So I would like to hear, before I go off, and I yeah. know it's obviously probably freshest in my mind because I've been watching it the last two days, but I would like to hear varying perspectives from my darker-skinned kings. All right. So Black AF, for those of you who don't know, is a TV show on Netflix. It is from the creator, Kenya Barris, who uh, he has created uh, blackish, mixish and um all the ish all the ish and uh those other shows are all somewhat some way shape or form an aspect of his family life so when you see anthony anderson you know uh that's kenya barris you know think of like the seinfeld larry david comparison um and black af is kenya barris's version of curb your enthusiasm it is his life his family again and this time he just so happens to star in it um and it does in a sense like if you've watched any of the previous shows you're going to see elements of that rehashed and recycled again in this show but it is um uh how can i say it's a it's in a mockumentary form right so it is the daughter she's making a documentary about her family and of course in Kenya Barris style you're still going to have a lot of dry humor you're going to have a couple of moments of uh insightful um enlightening moments between racial barriers and just these different situations uh in his life or conundrums that he deals with or his family deals with and it can range from a number of different things we do see the issue of colorism come up and colorism is basically like this internal uh, struggle between black folks who uh, debate about whether one, being light skinned is better or dark skinned is worse. And in true Kenya Barris fashion, almost all of the issues that are talked about, including white gays, and that is G A Z E. I was like, spell it out for the people. I, I, I have to. Can't be a homophobe. White gaze being um, how white people kind of gaze at black folks in certain situations. All of these topics and all of these situations and outcomes are usually due to, in some way, shape, or form, slavery. And the show basically tries to tie those things in and so on and so forth. Now, as for my initial take of the show, um, I was telling people straight off the bat, this is going to come with mixed reactions and no pun intended. Um, it is you're either going to love it or you are going to not care for it. And I think um, 
a lot of that has to do with how much you relate to the topics that are discussed and or how much of a fan you are of his previous work. Uh, if you've never seen Blackish, if you've never seen any of his other shows, you could probably walk into Blackish and enjoy it for all these new revelations that might be coming to you. But if you have seen it all, you know, it's going to take a while and the show is kind of rough in the first half. You know, it takes, I want to say, three, four episodes for it to really find its stride. Um, it, it's which granted can, does happen with most pilot shows. And, and, and I will say that the, I'll give it that caveat. The, my only issue with it is the fact that if you have eight episodes, I'm gonna need you to get it together quicker rather than you know uh, later. So, um, you know, it does take a certain level of patience. I do think it picks up its stride much later, especially after the fifth episode, which we will talk about. Um, my own personal issues with this was that. While I can absolutely relate to Barris and his situations, being black, being a father, being, you know, related to the movie industry and stuff, um, he starts to lose me once he starts talking about his rich problems, his rich people problems. You know, at that point, I'm kind of like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't care. I'm so sorry that you can't decide on what fashion designer to go with today. Like, I don't care. You know, so. It's going to be hit or miss for a lot of people. It definitely tries to tackle a lot of different situations. I think its strongest moments are when it does revolve around the family, even though you do tend to forget that he has the smaller children. Like, they just kind of disappear sometimes. Uh, I like how they do in Blackish. <laughs> oh, my God. So, but, like, the, the compulsive liar child, that Miss Lady, that was such a good storyline. Miss Lady yeah. on her window. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, can you can – you... He's a writer, I don't say first and foremost, but like his writing is at the top of his IMDb profile and for good reason. Like I love his writing. Like one of my favorite comedies of last year was Shaft. And apparently I'm so alone in like how much I loved it. And it was hilariously vulgar. I didn't realize how vulgar this show was going to be. It's it's so odd because I've watched every episode of Blackish. Kind of now. Let's say that again. It's kind of disturbing, like the way oh, he no, talks no. to kids. That's, that's already is. upsetting. It most certainly is, but knowing those Hollywood types, like I get it. Like when I first moved out to LA, fifteen years ago, two thousand five, and I was shocked at the different types of people and how they interacted with friends, family, and like you know people they work with. And he's exactly who I would expect after first initially meeting them. You know. Um, Kenya Barris, he's like, it's, he's one of those personalities. He's not prickly, but he's particular. He is not everybody's cup of tea. And this show is essentially blackish, but for cord cutters. Um, He does, he retreads, I don't want to say a lot of material, but like for a guy who's watched every episode of Blackish and probably have watched it a couple of times, you know, um, it's man, for the folks who are fans of it, it can feel tough to kind of sled through this because it feels like we've been here before. One, the Juneteenth episode that kind of happens in, you know, Black AF that also happens in Blackish. Like there's too many things that like are too similar. 
you know? So it's, it's, um, I like, I think, you know, what sucks is that I love this show and I'm more so kind of like depressed <laughs> that not everybody has, but I also understand that like the way that like my storytelling community, like one of my favorite shows about Hollywood is Entourage. And it's like, if I was to take Blackish and Entourage, that essentially is, you know, Black AF. And I got a lot of respect for the show. I think it's funny. I think the characters grow on you after a while. It doesn't stumble out the gate. It's just, it's hard to kind of get an idea of like what you're in for. You know, like, oh, this is a story about a young girl who's doing a documentary. Her parents are not good parents. They're kind of functioning together. Like, and one, I will say this for anybody who's a fan of Blackish, probably two seasons ago, the worst episodes that happened is when Bo and Dre were like, like, lean, like getting separated. <laughs> and like, this happens in this series, and it's just like, <gasps> I don't want to deal with this again. Like, I got so much trauma from that. But, um, I thought yo, this was this... a stronger episode, honestly. Well, because it, 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 it it does more on regards to focusing on the family. And I think that this series maybe kind of like all day and all night, it's trying to go in a lot of different places and cover a lot of different things. Yes. If it were to focus just on his struggle of being black in Hollywood, man, I think that like, that would have been a very, this is the good first season. Right. Right. Do the family stuff, but like just being black in Hollywood and how like in episode five, I think we'd all agree is the strongest episode in this entire series and for good reason, because that question of being black in Hollywood is like, that, that's the only thing that we're tackling. And still, and I love every episode title in this because of slavery. Oh, yeah. 100%. And yeah. Kind of like we were talking about audience with All Day and a Night. This show is not for every audience. And to be honest with you, it like, like you know, like what we said, it's a mixed reaction in regards to the black audience. And what we have to understand and what I hope that we get to is that being black, we are not monolithic. Right. And we all have different understandings of what being black is. And I think that's what the goal of the show is. Black AF is not mean like, oh, there's just one standard of blackness. No, 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 no. There's many. different shades to it. <laughs> there's yeah. very, very many. So I'm interested, like, Kales, like, where do you stand on this show? Is it black enough for you? Ooh, that question. <laughs> Talk oh. about a weighted question. Or yeah, Kales, go ahead. Tackle that. It's all yours. <laughs> well, the question about is it black enough kind of depends on that person's certain belief about what black is now if i was a person who believed that being black is just a certain substandard then this show probably wouldn't be for me because it deals with a wider a wider spectrum of what being black is i mean you have you know you have um Kenyon, you know, and his family, and then you have in episode five his family because of you see that different spectrum of black, and then you have um Rashida, you know, and what her character goes through, you know, and like I always get tested on being black. She talks about is it A one or is it Lowry's and everything like that. So you get a full gauntlet of what it is to be black, you know, in all shapes and sizes. You got a whole note. Okay, that's good. All right, and so <laughs> you get a whole you get a whole thing about all shapes and sizes. But for me. The the whole dry comedy, curb your enthusiasm style of comedy just isn't for me, per yeah. se. And that has nothing to do with the quality of the show, because I do love the topics that the show brings up. You know, especially that episode five where we get to see Tyler Perry and we get to talk about, you know, 
you know, black films through not just, you know, our own eyes, but also through white critics. You know, they, they bring up those different debates. And then we get to see an awesome scene from Tyler Perry. But other than that, I couldn't really, like, get into the gist of the show. Because I, I haven't, like, I haven't seen Blackish, I haven't seen Grownish, and I haven't seen Mixedish. Like, c- shows for me are very, very hard for me to get into. Like, I either have to seen it already and be into it, or I have to just be have a glaring, glaring interest in it. And for me, this show, I, I don't really have a, a interest in it. I mean, I know it pays to be a successful TV writer. I mean, you can see the house, the big cars, you know, the luxury lifestyle. The first episode goes all into that about... This guy has to worry about should I stunt too hard in front of like other white people, you know, and everything like that. And while I do, I do understand the concept and I do love that aspect of storytelling. I just don't really see myself in that, you know, for me, if I'm going to watch a TV show, I kind of have to be connected to it somewhat. And I just couldn't connect with this, but I do like that it does like represent a new dynamic. I like that Netflix actually brought on this show, you know, and even for all of the mixed reaction it's getting, I'm glad that it at least is starting a conversation. It started a conversation about Rashida Jones, where a lot of people didn't realize that she was already black. And, you know, <laughs> so if the, if the one show doesn't do anything else, it does that. And it like helped people to see that. But for me, I mean, outside of episode five, which is great, I just couldn't get into the rest of the show. And that's because I'm not really a curb your enthusiasm comedy kind of guy. My grandma used to watch it and she tried to get me into it, but I just couldn't I couldn't stomach it. You know, <laughs> that's fair. All right, Aaron, you got you got Aaron, here we go. This, this, this is what I've been waiting there you for. Go. Wait, let, me, let me pull out. Go my, ahead, let Joya. me pull out my note. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, no, I take notes. I take notes. Eight out of nine pages. What? Well, some of, no, it's not eight out of nine. Stop it. I tell my phone people. It's not a notebook. <laughs> oh no, I I love it when I take out my notes on my iPhone. I'm like, how many how many scrolls up? Yeah, how, how many comments did I have? I'm at like those. six because I took notes on every single episode and like for 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 you know for rate for rated's purposes, I cannot go through a lot of my notes because mm-hmm. there's the show is hella vulgar and like. <laughs> <laughs> there is some extremely funny dialogue and I don't have control of beeps. I, I do mild editing on this. So <laughs> do your best. <laughs> I, 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 I kept my notes clean knowing what we were going to talk about. Um, I'm primarily going to focus on the narrative of episode five, which I know that we've all mentioned us thinking was a rather powerful episode from this season. But there are a few things that I, I did like out of the first a uh, few episodes that I did watch. One, I liked the fact that we got to see a storyline uh, surrounded by a successful African-American family, number one. So generally speaking, you know, we we have uh, very limited amounts of shows that show what an actual success story looks like for our people that isn't tainted by some other way of getting mean money. Mm-hmm. Um, I did love, uh, in this episode that it opens up by talking about, and I thought it was very timely. It talks about how, because we do have a smaller amount of people to look up to within our culture, it hurts a little bit more when some, when one of ours goes down for something. So, and I, I think that that is very timely given everything that happened, um, this year. I mean, even with Kobe, we all know the controversy that happened right after his death and we had what was it? Uh, was it Wendy Williams? No, somebody somebody said something. No, uh, it was uh, yeah. Gail. Gail Kane. Gail, yeah. Gail, Kane. Gail made a comment, and then it started to beef with her and Ludacris, and it was a very big conversation about. And he came on to. I mean, if y'all haven't watched Red Table Talk, you need to. And 
E, I think E, E, oh, it was Snoop. Sorry. Yeah. Um, E, you need to watch it with your girls because I think it's very important. But like he came on there and was talking about how, yes, he took responsibility, shouldn't have blown up the way that he did. But with us having limited people to look up to, like right after somebody dies, it's not the time to attack them for potential mistakes that they made during their life. And he took it as a personal. Yeah, exactly. Like we, because we stand together in those moments. Mm -hmm. Um, And not everybody does, but I can see where he's coming from and why he felt like it was a personal attack. Um, I thought that there was a line at the very beginning of this movie that I very much related to Rashida with. And given that we're all part of the Feel and Film Facebook group. So uh, with us all being you know, in that feel and film Facebook group. Um, my, one of my favorite lines from this movie was she says, I don't watch movies with a stick up my butt. I watch them to be pure for pure entertainment. And I thought that was very relatable for me because I feel like a lot of times when we're around other critics, we have these people that like to watch these movies with like this fine, you know, go through with a fine tooth comb. And there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes I just want to sit back and actually be entertained by what I'm watching. So I, I understand her, her moment in that. Um, and then her commentary on when you're mixed, you're constantly tested on your level of blackness. This is something that I have had to deal with literally my entire life. I was made fun of by both black people, white people, and literally everybody in between because I was never enough of one thing or another. So like her questions, like I know it's supposed to be like an over exaggeration, but it's not like there are, those are literally some of the questions that I have been asked my whole life. And obviously the answer is Lowry's. I mean, the obvious. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I had an issue with the like her whiteness very much showed when she said we need to have a, a black barbecue with your family. Honey, that's called a cookout. That's not <laughs> that's not a that's not a big barbecue. That's we don't call it a big barbecue. Um, so this was some when they started actually getting to like the deep discussions about why we should like what we like. Um, the conversation about like, you don't get to tell me what I should like instead of what I actually like, I thought was a really powerful conversation because just because somebody likes Tyler Perry movies doesn't mean that they're not likable. It doesn't mean that this person has terrible taste in movies. It just means that what their taste or their preference for is different than yours. And I know we've discussed movies like this in the past and about whether or not it has to do with like institutionalized things of like what we're used to seeing in movies and in black cinema. But it could also just be that, like, they enjoyed Juana Man. They really enjoyed it. And when he called it the Black Mrs. Doubtfire, I was cackling. Like, because at the end of the day, it is just comedy of a man in a dress with a wig. And I get it. Mm-hmm. There are different nuances to those comedies. Robin Williams' comedy is obviously very different than, um, I'm going to forget his dang name now. Uh, Who's that, Dustin Hoffman and Tootsie? Tootsie. <laughs> well, uh, what's his name that played Joanna that played Joanna Man? Um, um, Miguel Nunez Jr. Yes, thank Miguel you. Miguel Nunez Jr. This black guy that don't got a black name. <laughs> hey, Afro Latino. What, what was the show that he did on on UPN Sparks? Remember that? Oh. Yes, I remember that show. Yeah. <laughs> My mom used to watch that without that him. Uh, Sparks, bro. Um, but I thought he made, I thought he made a good point that like somebody liking something that you saw problems with doesn't make it an issue. It just means that you saw problems that they didn't, and you can have an intelligent conversation with them and try to see whether or not they're willing to see those structural issues. But if they don't, it doesn't make them a worse person. It just means it that their Kenya's, style Kenya's entire reality was being challenged in that moment. Because you know what I realized is that a lot of the the criticisms that I heard from our community about this show is that Kenya feels detached from what 
we think the black, black American Mar- experience exactly, is, yeah. right? And in a sense, he is. You know, he said himself inside of the inside of that episode. You know, um, well, you know, Drea, the the young daughter, is doing this documentary again inside of NYU Film School. You know, we only, even though our family is like 15 miles away, we only see them a few times a year. He's kind of lost that that that, that connection and attachment to what his own people find entertaining. But he did it. All he's been around, time. so it's not that exactly. he lost it. He chose to yes. step away from. He it. chose to do, but he and chose to sense, step away from that because of mm-hmm. white gaze. Exactly. He's insulated himself in that. G A Z E. Yes. Um, he insulated himself inside of this bubble where he's been conditioned that when he's looking at art or, you know, in this sense, is working in the entertainment industry, he's saying, OK, well, he's looking for that white validity. And it's funny that coming from Tyler Perry kind of espousing like his, you know, his view on that, it really shook him to his core and had him look deeper. Like, am I the problem? So I one of the problems. No. OK. So like, all right. When. You know, and I'm not. Also, keep in mind, I got a lot more notes. I know, I know. <laughs> but this was the juicy part of the whole season that we had to talk about, and I felt yes. like this conversation in this episode was missing so much. For one, Kenya was so worried about how white critics viewed and criticized or didn't criticize uh, black films. Then that he was... scene inside of his writers' room, amazing. It's great. And then, um, you know, there was the other dynamic of how do black people, how are we supposed to approach, you know, as an audience, how are we supposed to approach black films and as other peers or colleagues within the same industry, you know, where he had that big Zoom chat with all the other creatives, you know, the Ava DuVernay's, Lila, Issa Rae, Rae and all of them, which was amazing, which was great, you know, and you know, but the whole thing, the whole time I'm sitting here like, ugh, you're going to have this whole conversation and all of this, but you're not going to have that one black media in there to actually bring in the other side of the conversation. But that's fine. That's why we have the black. I media. think that's creatives, they can't. They, I, I will say this, and I think this speaks a lot to us. I do not think they want to blur that line. Blur which line? I really, really do. I do not think that black storytellers and filmmakers want to blur that line of intermingling 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 with us black media yes well i think that's detrimental in itself you know that has been an ongoing certainly it's been an ongoing problem and that's something that if black media were involved in that conversation you know because i've already envisioned myself being in part two of that episode (laughs) i would call kenya out and be like you more worried about what the white critics will say only because you value them more. Mm-hmm. Whereas from day one, we're the first ones that want to give you an interview when you ain't yep. got nothing going on to begin with. And then Crazy. even after that, we could still keep supporting you, but we get knocked all the way down the line. You know, when it comes to opportunities, we're all the way down on the red carpet. So when what you Tyler Perry say up, them tomatoes, I don't care about them tomatoes. Right. But like, about when you tomatoes. finally blow up, and, you know, it's time to kind of, like, help us, you know, as black media, we don't carry that same value. That's why, again, you're more worried about what white critics have to say and what other white creatives have to say. But the black press, the media, the critics and stuff that, again, has been supporting you from the jump, there's nothing. And all we do is give nothing but love, you know, which is another element that this episode tries to talk about, which is 
you know, um, well, I forget. I think it was Issa Rae that made the comment like, "I I love and support everything black." You know, just yes. it's just blind support. Well, so I mean, it, that yeah. was a play. Like JoJo was the one that said that line, but it was a play on what Issa was saying about like she's right. voting for everybody who's black at the Oscars that one year. Exactly. And I exactly. I. I I see both sides of it. Like you have to support and lift one another up, but it's also like, like when, when he made the commentary about green book, I was like, okay, you lost me there. Like just your, your comment. And I think that was part of the point is he was commenting about how well green book won an Oscar. So you be talking about it. You should understand why this is an important film and not actually about how trash bag Panda city that movie was. So it's, I think that they. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Like you waved. I thought you were talking. I mean, I'm going to jump in when you're done, but go ahead. Yeah. Like I think and I even have it in there. Like he lost me. He kind of lost me at his green book argument because it's like, just because something wins an award. Yes. It comes with certain benefits that happen, just like his Emmy nominations and wins and stuff like that. But that doesn't actually speak to the quality of the, of the content necessarily, or all of the time. I will say like most of the time we ideally would only be giving awards to things that were of quality content that truly deserve them. But that is not always the case, as we've seen with a lot of Oscar winners over the years. So I don't think that and it goes back to what you were saying, E, about how, again, the majority of the voting party is white. So he is going to lean heavier on what his white viewers, his white audienceship, his white uh, critics are going to say about these things. My biggest problem with the whole white critics in that um, small room is, yes, he had two people of color in that room and he had three he had three white people, which was great. Um, you know, sem- you know, between the three, it was well balanced, three and three. So shout out to Bumper Robertson. Do you know that boy's been working since he was like eight <laughs> yeah, years old? He a hustler. Different world, the Cosby Show. My Black boy Rose is still teacher. looking yeah. good, man. He hasn't aged. Yo, he was- he's aged really well. Yeah, yeah, Black don't crack. Man. crack. Shout out to, like he, that boy, he was like the quintessential like whoever's boyfriend he had to be in somebody's show. He showed up. That's who Bumper was, and nobody knew what his name was. He was always wearing a tank top or something. It's actually probably the same tank top. He had a good haircut, man. Shout out to that boy. But yeah, no, well, that you know, it was it was it was balanced. But I love the fact that they were able to cut through in that scene and be like. No, really tell me. And like the fact that white folks, they said it or I mean, you know, Kenya wrote it, but said, yeah, I feel like am I about to be set up? So that's (laughs) what I put in my notes. My biggest thing was there is a very big difference in not liking a movie and realizing that a movie is not for you. Those are two very different things for me. It was like when all these white women were up in arms after Beyonce's Lemonade came out. And I'm like, you're not even commenting on the actual music that you're listening to. You just don't like what this stands for or you don't like what you think this stands for. That's fine. Step away from it because it wasn't created for you. It was created for black people and specifically black women around the world. So recognize that it's not for you and that it's not your time. But like there's a way to do that in a not so negative light that makes it think that you're just bashing on a black film or bashing on something because it, it it was black or primarily black. Like, and there are moments in this scene. And then I can't remember if it was this episode or a different episode where I think it was maybe episode two, where they went out to dinner with that like lawyer lady couple or whatever. Mm, yeah. And they were like, Oh my gosh, that's so hip hop. And that is the, <laughs> the chick stuff, from working moms. Yeah. That's, that is the <laughs> stuff that honestly, like if you're listening to this and you are white and you feel the need to put on what I like to call the sassy black woman voice, whenever you're around black people, knock it off right now. 
it drives me up the, like it those are microaggressions 100 percent. it drives me up the freaking wall when people do like snap their fingers in a z formation or they all of a sudden have 10 more ligaments in their neck and they're using all of them at once for no reason like, wait she said <laughs> i've never seen you talk like this how does your neck i've never right. seen your neck move but that's like this. literally <laughs> what it is it's like people think are like oh hey girl and it's like i've literally never seen you like never heard you say hey girl I, every moment. i, I have a co-worker that does stuff like that like the second <sighs> Other black people come in. Oh, what's up, player? I'm like, shut up, <laughs> shut up, shut up, right now. And You're that, from Indiana. That, you shut up. Exactly. Like nothing. I'm not a player, so I have no idea who. Are you talking to me or is it this? Is it you Fred behind me? Like, player. shut up. Do you do you think that? And I'm not talking in critic sense. Do you think that non-black critics know the difference that they're not enjoying a film because they don't they don't know that it's not for them? No, well, I don't. Uh, well, I shouldn't. I can't speak in. I, I will not speak in sweeping commentary. I would I mean, say a lot of them probably don't recognize that, especially given the small percentage that black cinema takes up within the market space. And I think part of it kind of goes to one of the comments that we were talking about earlier um, from someone else within the uh, in the Facebook group. Um, sometimes, let's just say a black film might give off the impression that it's only for a specific audience. So then they might not feel welcomed to receive it in that but way. What, what makes you think that that impression is there though? Instead, like if I'm just seeing a trailer that yeah. like, I guess the only things that I would pick up on as a black person are comments or jokes that I know regularly pertain to us as either Southerners or black people. But right. that to me, that doesn't convey that it's not for a white person. It just means that the target audience may not be that white person. It doesn't mean a white person won't enjoy it. So I guess all, all of us probably can't really get into the mindset of a white person that's watching a trailer Ooh. and says, this isn't for me. I think I'll, yeah. I'll take a stab at this and I'm, I'm definitely just pontificating here. I think Becky, put your Becky wig on. Yeah, yeah I'm trying. I, I got a little Karen uh, extension here too. <laughs> I saw um, Sharon one earlier, so I think yeah, for we're sure. Moving to Sharon's sure. now. Um, I think what it is because I'm 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 literally trying to think of like how trailers are sold, right? And I'm thinking to myself like, you know, if it was something like Night School, Kevin Hart, Tiffany Haddish, you know, you got loud, you have expressive, you've got very black you know, type of vibes coming through. And I, I hate the fact that I can't articulate this better, but it seems <laughs> like the more authentically black it is and the more specific to a cultural uh, paradigm that it starts to focus on, that's where possibly people might get the impression, oh, you're talking to them because you switch your vernacular, you switch your dynamics, you switch your, your inferences and references you're, didn't like movies now. didn't midsummer i never saw it for obvious reasons if anybody's been listening to this podcast they know why i didn't see it but if you saw midsummer are you would that not cater to people who have, are of nordic descent then but the difference there is and i hate that i have to unpack this it's white supremacy white supremacy normalizes everything and anything white so it doesn't matter if it's northern, you know, or whatever. Because that's the, that's the standard. That's, that's been... the standard. Because so, of slavery. Because of slavery. <laughs> <laughs> it, it always comes down to slavery. To slavery. But yeah, like that, you know, that's the, the line. The, the line that he says, because of slavery, just know it's always gonna be that. Yeah. That's my north star. Oh, that's my north star. 
But I do also feel like, do you guys ever feel that he's very detached from that line, though? And I know that it's most likely intentional, but I feel like he is also making fun, like, and, and not in a good way. Like, I feel like he's also making fun of those people that say everything is back, it traces back to slavery. I don't. I don't. There, I don't think all the time, but in a few instances, it really just, it didn't hit. And I was just like, like, I, that I, didn't I, make sense to say that there. So are you making fun of them now or? This Kenya oh. is an over-dramatized version of Kenya. It, it is. It is. Now, now I'll, I'll highly recommend that you guys do two things. Not you guys, but listeners. Uh, go to E-Man's Movie Reviews. I have an interview with Kenya Barris specifically about Black AF, and he just goes into the colorism. He goes into all these different topics and stuff, right? And then go to the African American Film Critic Association, where you can see the extended version of that interview. And to answer that question directly, he really does believe, you know, because of slavery. You know, I don't think that's something that he takes lightly because you can I think tell. it was more the delivery more than anything oh, else. Sure. Few in- I'm not talking about just the yeah. actual use of the phrase. First of I'm all, talking about the delivery and a few instances seemed very detached to me. And that's when yeah. those moments were when I thought he was making fun of it. I think that's just bad acting. <laughs> you know, he made a conscious decision to not cast anyone else. And honestly, right. I could see how the series could have been very different. It could have been. If he would have cast someone else. It would have been black. He want. He, it, it, it would have been. He is Dre. Dre is him. Yes. It, it, that's yes. all it would have been. You know. <laughs> you know? But, um, but with that said, I think, especially with this episode, with this dilemma, I think what it did, first of all, was set up a false dilemma. It created this situation where it was like, okay, do we critique these things or do we just blindly support it? And I'm like, that's a false dilemma because you also have the option to abstain. You could just sit there and be like, I don't have an opinion. If y'all like Tyler Perry stuff, cool. I don't need to tell you that I don't like it. I I don't have to tell you that. That is what I think a lot of people my just God. in general don't understand. Our parents, I and I, oh. I honestly want to say this to my parents, our entire lives, our parents have told us, if you don't have something nice to say, then right. don't say anything at all. And exactly. yet everybody feels the need to tell somebody like, oh, I got my nails done. Oh, I hate them. Well, I didn't ask you how you felt about them. So, right. but thank you so much for yeah. sharing that opinion. Like I mean, you can just say, I don't have an opinion or it wasn't for me and just leave it at that. Or, which was a constant annoyance of mine, with this happened with Black Panther. People, when when people were just in a space, having fun, enjoying it, praising it, all of a sudden, someone felt the urge to walk into that little circle of happiness and joy and be like, it was, you know, overhyped or I, it's overrated. And it's like, hey, you're totally fine to have your opinion. You're entitled to it. But you don't need to go and disrupt something that you didn't care for. Time and place. Like nobody, it's a time and place thing. But overall, and I and I wanted to just kind of bring this point up because we brought it up earlier. This whole criticism dynamic between you know attacking people for what they like or should we not talk about it because you know it's we got to uplift the black cause and everything. I think that talks to a larger issue which. We talked about in earlier episodes, which is the lack of opportunities. It is the it's the mere fact that when you have a Tyler Perry who is successful, we as a community, black community, put 
all of our burdens and all of our expectations on whoever's successful. If you're Tyler Perry, if you're Oprah, if you're Michael Jordan, if you're President Obama, you need to te- you made it. So you got to you got to help all of us. You're carrying you all gotta, of us. You got to carry the entire load. And if you don't carry that entire load, we're coming for you. How dare you not have characters that are darker than X, Y, Z? Why aren't there characters that are gay enough or whatever? Like everything comes on you. And, you know, one thing that um, Kenya Bears brought up in that in the interview, which I thought pretty much spoke a lot to this was Adam Sandler is almost like the white Tyler Perry. He makes a very specific niche in terms of his movies. And he sticks to it. And he sticks to it. Could he do something else? Probably. We've seen him in Uncut Gems. He has, he's got some he's got some range, but my man does what he does. He doesn't care what other people say. And the he key to that but the, the key to that is when he makes a movie that fails it's not the downfall of the entire white community. <laughs> it's not or the downfall. The entire, the entire Jewish community. In his or life. Jewish community. Like, he's not the sole representative because he's not the only one that's made it. And he's not the only one with opportunities. So when you do have a Tyler Perry who has a whole produce uh, a studio to produce stuff, and then you only have, like, a, a Will Packer, you know, or you have now Kenya Bears, it's like... Oh. Kenya doesn't even have the opportunity or the space to tell his own story because that's what all these shows are. They're literally his own story about his own family. And when we talk about like a lot of the debate and controversy with this, it's because people want it to be more than what he's giving. And it's like kind of unfair. I know. I sorry. I'll, I'll and I'll stop talking for a little bit after this. I know that I've kind of tar- taken over part of this conversation, but I know that I mentioned it in our chat as well. I think that this really would not have had as big of a problem if he hadn't named it what it what it was. Do you know what that it when was? you name a sh- but called? when you name a show black as f, then you expect to see somebody who is black as f. So I really think that there probably would not have been as much colorism issues if it hadn't been titled that. What was it called before? It was called previously Black Excellence. Hashtag. Oh, I would love that. That would have been better. Honestly, I still think it would have got. I think folks would have still. Yeah, I think they still would have had issues. I think that there Mm -hmm. still would have been some issues with it because, like you said, there's a responsibility of lifting up that minority of actors and that minority of people within that industry. But I don't think that the colorism debate would be top tier of the arguments for this show. I think that it's taken over because even a lot of people social media wise are saying, well, when you watch a show that's called black AF, you expect to see somebody that's black AF and not a single person in that show was black AF. So it's just, it's one of those things where I don't think it would have been the first thing that people jumped on and the height of the discussions for this show. I think that argument was dumb. I'm sorry. It just seems so dumb because we don't always associate the term black AF, the hashtag. If you just look up the hashtag before this show came out, that was not designated for a skin pigmentation. It was designated to something that was authentically black. The more authentically black this thing was, it was black AF. That's what it meant. So when people started talking about like, oh, well, there isn't someone darker skin. I'm like, since when was that the standard? It was never the standard. 
So what are you talking about? Yeah, so anyway, I thought it was dumb. Yeah, for me, I just wanted to like bring up one good point that it did make towards the towards the end where they're having the panel. And um, I think Kenyon is talking about how, like, we need to be honest with one another, you know, when it comes to our craft, whether it's writing or directing, we need to strive for more than just being a great black director and a great black writer. Like, it's great to get put on and to put on stuff for your people. It's great. It's great for whatever art you put out there. That's an accomplishment. That's something to be proud of. But there's always that you can always reach for more and more levels than just what you're talking about. Like, let's like explore some more dynamics of the African-American culture than just one subset. And let's bring it out to a wider world of it and just become better at what we do. Because it's one thing to support black art because it's black art, because like like we said before, there's a limited number of opportunities. And there's only so much of us that get put on into that position to where we can tell our stories. So it feels like for us, we do have an obligation to support that, you know, given that historically we had those doors were closed to us. But also in another sense, I can't I am able to like tell you like, hey, like this movie is just not doing it for me. And that doesn't mean that you automatically disqualified. It just means, hey, go back to the drawing board, draft something up that's a little bit more tired, a little bit more better and come back and hey, you might get a better reception. You know, it, it doesn't hurt. To say that a film made by a black writer, black writer is not good. It doesn't hurt, and we should not continue to be afraid of that. But also in the same, but also in the same sense, when it comes to black art, we also just need to understand that it just feels even better just to have someone being able to tell a story. And just just to piggyback off that, I think if you you know it kind of goes to what Aaron was saying about how um, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it. But mm. If you have something constructive to say, then you should say it. I have. It's your responsibility. Exactly. I have also something that person has to be willing to accept that. Like it does come. Like that person has to set their pride aside, and that again comes down to when you create art, and it's you're creating art as a minority, and you feel the burden of carrying that weight on your shoulders. Any critique that comes is going to automatically be met with, "Well, I created this for you, so how can you be critiquing?" So that person also has to be willing to accept the critique, but again, it has to be constructive. And the director in the in the show in that episode he did exactly what you were talking about where he was like he he couldn't take you know just the what do you mean? wait he was going on and on and on he's like yeah you know in in, in minute 72 yeah like, it, it was representative of the, the tap shoes and the cook and there was a death okay, jar right. moment and i tried to google it i couldn't find it what movie were they because this it, had to be i don't a movie i don't think did you ask the question about what i i wanted to ask him Straight up, oh, what movie him. was that? Because I'm not gonna lie. At first, I thought it. Was... I've heard people rumor that it was us. It's... Oh like, no! Nah, that would make sense in the context because one, they were laughing in the theater, right? right. And like, yeah, it, it came off. Yeah. Yeah. it would have been more of a Tyler Perry style movie. Yeah, and then uh-huh. Bumper was talking about a race car. I'm like, the irony, the irony is that I thought he was talking about a Will Packer movie. I thought he was talking about something like Night School or yeah, just a, a random Kevin Hart movie, something that, yeah. oh, my people thought this movie was so hilarious and so mm-hmm. funny. And I thought it was crap. Like, it, mean, don't not... come for central intelligence because I'll, I'll I'll hit you with some smoke on that. No, but Tim Story, right? You know Ride what? We're going to have some words. <laughs> you cannot come for it. No, no. I'm I will take. 
Kevin Hart and The Rock any day of the day. They're dynamic and their bloopers and their love for each other is so pure. I need it. Okay. (laughs) I was was wondering if it was right along too because they were talking about, you know, cars and it was a a comedy and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, maybe I I was so curious to what that movie was. I thought it was just like a stereotype. Like, I I think he was just... Yeah, I think think that's what it was. Yeah, like any movie that's, I hate to say it, but like the cheap black comedy, you know, the one that's Mm -hmm. just, it's not, as Kenya would say, elevated art, you know? And for him, yeah, all of it is not going to be elevated art. You know, especially yeah. when it comes to comedy. Comedy is so subjective. Comedy is more subjective than just, you know, yes. art itself, in a sense, you know. you know. It's crazy to think that Kenya created his own barometer in regards to black film and, like, what's the caliber of success right. and said, oh, Green Book is now the caliber of success and, like, was measuring that and then putting in relation. Like, oh, but didn't you see Green Book? And it's weird because when I first saw what? Green Book, Pre-controversy, I thought that the, it was an excellently composed film. Sitting on it and re-watching it, you can understand how problematic it is to perpetuate that continued type of storytelling and those tropes that we've brought up before. I, as a critic, do a good job at separating that. I can analyze the film in itself and what it's doing emotionally to me in regards to the story and then what it's doing societally in regards like to like, how Crash. responsible that it's what? being. Right? Exactly. Like, Hold on. Wait a minute. Dip- Green Book is not even a black movie. It's not made by True, black people. It's not written or created by black people. Like it is produced by it's produced by black people. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Produ- producer credit. Producer yeah. credit is literally just like okay. The producer face? literally does nothing but just like the producer finds money for the movie. Right. That's exactly. like she a producer like, is literally just somebody that pitches it to people and they're like, "Do you want to invest?" Okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So the producer. Yeah. I, I say creatives. Yeah, no, I'm talking about the people that put yeah. pen to paper, the writing, people that right. are sitting the there directing, that, that are acting. No. No. Yeah, and and, and, and it was it was in, it was intriguing, kind of seeing that that's what he kind of set up there. And then he, you know, he he pointed out these other films like, how could this film get a ninety nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes? And like, what did Godfather get? What did Godfather two? Like, he's creating in his mind these standards because. Hollywood told him that this is what the standard is and Tyler Perry could never equate to that right and you know just like how Tyler Perry he doesn't care and I don't think he has to care I do you know you think he has to care <laughs> yeah because I again different no, look I don't think he needs to care want to right There's the I, difference. I don't think he needs to care about haters he doesn't need to care about haters okay if people mm-hmm. are like oh tyler perry sucks oh that's a fine but i think the problem with tyler perry in this case is the fact that he lumps haters with critics and in that mix you lose the actual constructive criticism that would actually oh, okay. help you get better so when people sit here and say yo i'm not really tripping off of the fact that you have a uh, uh, poor wigs in your movies, I mean that that is something you should take care of. But how about the fact that you have people eating air food and like you just didn't edit your scenes properly? Like just structurally, you can but also be better. Like, you can afford food and you can afford food. You know what I'm saying? But I'm just saying like <laughs> he's missing those crucial elements that will still yes. be beneficial 
even if he doesn't want to hear them. And that is something that still needs to be present, even if, you know, within the black medium, we're struggling with lack of opportunities and stuff like that. We still need to, we still owe it to ourselves not to coddle ourselves at the same time. Like we need to also uplift each other in more ways than one. So I, I think that that really like it pulls together. There's uh, there's the scene at the very end where he's talking to the other uh creatives on that call and stuff like that and i think that and i can't remember if it's when he's talking to them or when he's talking i think it's when he's talking to jojo afterward and she talks about there being just the freedom and our ability to create black movies and black cinema which i think is an interesting topic of discussion but he makes a really good point about saying white people are going to continue to praise us in public but then wait for our demise behind closed doors if we don't continue to hold ourselves accountable that's what's going to happen and i think that's a really interesting thing that to think about but it also is are we holding ourselves accountable to to the creation of good art or are we holding ourselves accountable to the creation of white art and i mm. think that's really what mm. this whole episode is about and i didn't really i it, it, it all of these Every episode of the show, while it has comedic moments, in my opinion, the show is strongest in the third act of each episode when they actually get down to oh, yeah. what all of this has been pulling toward. Yes. And in this moment, I was sitting there thinking about what we have previously discussed on these episodes, which is, do we actually think that these, like, how have we, how we've been conditioned to think of what art is when the majority of the art we've seen has been created by white creatives? Does that mean that we're seeing everything with a true artistic lens or are we seeing things with the lens of what we've only ever seen our entire lives? And I think that there has to be a balance between what we determine is, quote unquote, a black film or a black movie versus what we just see as good art that happens to star black people or have our types of speech or vernacular or speaking what they said in this speaking in a shorthand that only we understand. That doesn't necessarily make it a black movie. But again, it goes down to what Kenya was saying about like there's a difference between being a black director and being a director who is black. And I think that unfortunately, it's going to take a very long time until we get to the latter purely due to the fact that we don't take up enough space in this industry. So I think for now, the argument shouldn't be, am I the best black director or am I the best director that is black? It should be, how do we get more black directors so we can get to the point of being the best director, period. Right. No, and I, I think agree it only with comes over time. I think we're literally at such a shift for so many things, whether it be politics or the academy, like a swath of things where a lot of us, it sounds terrible, but a lot of us are just waiting for an entire generation of people to die. Like it really comes down to that. And it sounds terrible, but we're literally waiting for the old white men that run the academy to stop voting and to die off because it means that we actually might be able to get funding to create the art that we want to see. We will be able to get more female directors, more directors of color, more female directors of color. Like, and we're doing that because the art that these directors of color or females are creating now aren't being viewed by these old white men in the Academy. We all know what happened with the Oscars last year where they deliberately did not view movies because they said it didn't look like I would enjoy this. Like you just watch the trailer lady, like get, get over it, Karen. Like, See, and, and the problem I have with that is that I don't think it stops with them. It's, it's almost oh, like no, saying like, Oh man, to push into that space. No, 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 I, to, no, totally. Progress will still be made. But it's almost like, you know, uh, I wish, you know, the generation, the, um, you know, before during the civil rights movement, if they're all if they all die off, 
then we'll be in a post-racial society. And clearly we're not. And I think it's still the same thing in the movie industry, mainly because for so long, as you mentioned, we've been indoctrinated into learning this is art. No, this is good quality movies. And I'm sitting like it's taken me a while to unravel and sit back and be like, wait, is it? Like, I'll look at certain movies that people, you know, and hopefully I won't trigger anyone, any listeners that'll consider masterpieces. And I'm like, why? This movie was boring or this movie was not all that good. Or I mean, and I'll I'll, look, whatever. I'll just go there. I watched Taxi and I was or yeah, Taxi Scorsese and I was not impressed. I was really disturbed with like the issues with the writing and the editing of the movie. I was sitting here like, how did you make all these leaps? And how are we supposed to sit here and understand how the character goes from A to B? And then all of a sudden we're saying this movie is a classic. And oh, my gosh, this is the standard of cinema and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, it's not. Are we just saying this because we've been ingratiated with people that keep on coddling? Scorsese and others the like. But do you also just, think like, it's yes. due to time? <laughs> yes. And that's not to say, that's not to say, don't get me wrong, that Scorsese's terrible or anything. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the fact that I think we've lost our ability to be objective because we've been in this pool of only this is good and we haven't had the opportunity to see everyone, you know, and what they can bring to the table to really get a good mix. You know, if we were talking about food, we haven't gotten a good mix of the foreign uh, food to really be like, oh, man, this spicy stuff is actually good, too. You know, or this salty food is really good, too. Or this sweet food is all good. We've been only eating boiled chicken. Hey, you know? hey, I, yeah, I, I know that that is a dig, yeah, an there. intentional dig at my man, and I do not appreciate it, but you're right. He's trash for cooking oil chicken. I'm just Absolute saying. trash. But, but yo, no, E, you're right. It's 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 the power it's the power in our words. And when we say them enough, we stupid we start believing them. Keep in mind, projects are announced and they're automatically labeled an Oscar contender. Yeah. We have no idea what this is about. What, what's, what's the Scorsese movie? Something on the flower moon. Right. You know, this movie's going to cost $200 million. It's going to be an Oscar. It says, who? Right. The think man also, is 70 years old. I think old. also part of that is due to the acclaim that the book got that it's based off of. Like, the story itself is actually, like, I, I can see, what, like, that specific example. Yeah. I know what but you're saying, but that specific example, we, it, it has a lot of back. Yeah. But, like, there's some artists that automatically get this label as good. Right. Based off what they've done in the past, like, like the Irishman, like yo, things exact. Oh, it's gonna be this. It's gonna be that. Yeah. And you know, it, still it's, haven't seen it. You know, it, it's real tough. I hope we get to a place where other minorities are offered those same latitudes, right? Like, I, I there was such a powerful line inside of episode five, right? And like, it said, um, "That's what King fought for: the freedom to make bad movies." Yeah. And I, we don't, I just we, found that to be powerful. No, we don't have that we, opportunity. We don't. We don't. It, it hurts. And just like how we talked about, like, it's so funny because, like, at the beginning of the episode, they were talking about, you know, it's hard being black and then separating art from the artists. And because we don't have enough, and I think we've all kind of said it, it's like when they fail, like, when us wasn't get out, right. we took it we so took hard. We took it super like, personal. Oh, my hard. God. Like, we're not going to get another chance. How dare you, Jordan Peele? You let us all down. But it also, (laughs) like, it doesn't help that he started off with something that was apparently, apparently. And a lot of of directors have a sophomore slump, and it's okay. It's usually okay because they're given. Look at Hunter's. If my sophomore slump is us, 
Give me more sophomore slumps. Like, yes. You know, Us is a brilliant film that falters in some of its movie logic, and that is it. Just that movie logic. It. It also expectations. I think it also depends expectations because a lot of oh, absolutely, a lot of people were not ready for what us was going to deliver because they were just uh, automatically. I guarantee you cannot read a review about us and not see the words "get out" in there. Immediately, should I watch it before I watch "get out"? No, it doesn't matter. Nah. Mentally separate. But I'm saying, but like, should I watch it before I actually have that level of expectation so, after seeing all, it out? First of all, I am disappointed that you're even <laughs> setting this question up. Acknowledge that you still have not seen Get Out. You know what? First I feel like just the running joke for Black Label is going to be Aaron has never watched Get Out. Uh, but then it also means you haven't watched exactly. Us. So like, it's very, it's, it's but, very problematic but, but, like in itself. If, if, Anyone watching these? I'm oh, sorry, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, wait. This is it. All right. Next episode, we are talking about us and get out. The Jordan Peele episode it. of the Black that's Label it. is coming. That's the it. Pressure is on. Like you can <laughs> pressure all the way on. All right. And a whole pandemic. I don't get it together. <laughs> I don't. Do, I don't perform yes. well under pressure. Uh huh. No, sweating. but no, you don't need. To, they're not connected. There's no. You, it's almost like asking, like, should you, you know, take Taxi and Raging Bull, like. Just because it's the same director, you know, people don't yeah, make two those different films. They're two different, they're two different films. Different like, but don't expect for, Get Out two from us, you know. Yeah, that's why I think a lot of people failed. Reason, they expected another Get Out. Exactly, and it's like that's not even fair. Like, you don't, you're not even giving him room to be different, which he was. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, uh, Get Out was a sociological thriller, you know, and uh, Us was a slasher. A you know, sociological thriller. I think sociological. It's, so, it's sociological. Ooh, that'll be a very interesting mental social thriller. But back to Black AF, like yeah. Yeah. I think that I think that we're all touching on the same thing. Yeah. Is that Black people need to create more art for the sake of creating art? We need to create our art and not care who the audience is. We need to continue speaking life into our culture. And continue making art that builds that culture up and does not reinforce stereotypes, but speaks to the truth behind those stereotypes. And I think that is what the intention behind uh, uh, All Day and All whatever that other one was. All Day and a Night. That one. Gosh, I'm so tired, <laughs> y'all. Um, but like, I think that that, that is, the, to me, that is the difference and why like maybe a lot of white audiences still may not watch that movie because they'll assume it's just another gangster movie. But to me, if, if we are speaking life and breathing life into the actual stories of our culture, that is what I care about. These are stories about institutionalized racism, about the trauma of living in a subpar community, about how it takes a village to raise somebody, especially within the African-American community. And I think that so many of those things go back to because of slavery. But like we did retain so many of our tribal instincts in the black, the black home and the black family. And so I think that we're all kind of touching in, in on different elements of what it means to be black, how nothing is ever both simultaneously black enough and not black enough. Because there is no actual definition. We are all, I mean, all four of us, even on this podcast, are varying shades of experiences and of skin color. So I think the the root of the issue is we need more black creators to continue creating art, but art that happens to elevate the black experience until we take up more space. I feel like the way Kenya talks about because of slavery, 
the theme for this entire podcast is because of opportunities or like thereof. It, 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 it's like it almost always comes back down to that some way, shape or form. Why do we have these expectations? Well, we haven't had the opportunities to, you know, give you something else. Or how come this is successful and this is not? Well, because we haven't had the opportunities to put out more. It's that's it. That's it. That's it. Gentlemen, any other points? <laughs> that was it. That was it. He may just laid the curtain down. <laughs> Dr. King would be proud. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's always amazing when we kind of come to this very, like, poignant, like, self-reflection at the end of a podcast where you're like, damn. Like, that is it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just, like, that simple. And it's not like we're overthinking these things. And we're definitely not going to over-talk about these things because they need to be talked about. Like what Aaron said, we need more art. We need more art from our perspective. We need more opportunities for folks that look like us and talk like us to talk about this art and to also, the more that we can talk about it, I think the more that we cultivate an atmosphere for others to talk about. I never want to feel like black films are exclusionary and only for us. Because it really shouldn't be. Mm-mm. The fact that we had this podcast is because someone felt that they may have been excluded and, you know, stepped outside of their comfort zone and say, I would love to know more and love to, like, cultivate a space to be able to know more. And I think that's pretty dope. And I think it's those steps and strides that that's the progress that we need. Um, so watch all day and a night, now streaming on Netflix. Do they have to? We would love to know your thoughts. Do they have to? I would actually rather yes. people go to that other episode that we talked about. And honestly, I think that we should have, okay, if the next episode is going to be dedicated to my shortcomings in Jordan Peele cinema, then I would request that my redemption arc be the next episode that we do after that. Each of us comes to the table with three films from black cinema that we feel like would be good for people to be either introduced to black cinema or that are classics within the community that everybody should uh, watch. Good introduction. That's a great, great idea. Yeah. Just, I mean, like it doesn't have to be something that is like hard hitting. It doesn't have to be, you know, Malcolm X or anything like that. Yeah. We're not telling you to go like, we're not going to say, Oh, please watch 12 years of slave. No. No, please. No, no. Well, and again, I want a a movie that was, I'm talking about movies that were made by black creators. So Mm, movies that speak to varying levels of experience, movies that, Mm. that are cross genre. Like I would like an episode dedicated to each of us talking about why we chose our three, or, I mean, even if we each did one, because I mean, we don't Mm -hmm. want a 17 hour long episode, just like this one is, but like we, we? that's true. Uh, but if, if we each chose one, then we could we could speak to its merit sure, or something yeah. along those lines. So I think so that would be a better, epi- a better episode of us each each talking about why a movie was important to us and why we think a listener should watch it. I'm down with that. By the way, I just wanted to randomly rant about how all these opportunities we're talking about. This is what BET should have been created for. BET, then for some of the 
lesser known uh, or knowledgeable listeners, BET was not made to be exclusionary to white audiences. It was made to just be a platform for black media and creatives to have the opportunity to make more content. However, given the ownership, it's yeah. Um, yeah. So BET is a huge disappointment. Because it just never lived up to what it should have been. It's potential. So, yes. I would say, nice. say in the recent in the recent year or two, they're trying. They're trying. I mean, yeah, they're trying. trying but it feels a little bit too late. It's just, <laughs> how long has it been here? Since 20-something plus 20, years? 20-something years. You had 20-something years, just, and now in year 20, you finding your stride? You had <laughs> job. No. What job? What? Oh, man. Just one job. Just it's in your name. Yeah, that, is, that that's true. They, they have one in Yo Park and Comic View. Yes, like I'll give it to BET. One hundred and six Park. They have Comic yeah. View in the BET Awards. I'm post uh, Johnson. Once Johnson left. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah y'all yeah. do y'all search on that. But anyway, <laughs> yo, but listeners, keep doing your job. Listen, get at us. Let us know what you think about the podcast. If you care to be able to watch. All day and tonight. If you care to watch Black AF, we hope that our words gave you some insight to what we thought about it. Can't wait to share some words on the next podcast, the Jordan Peele episode, featuring Aaron Hundley finally watching Get Out. She's going to leave the podcast. It's going to be great. It's going to be so great. But even greater is the folks I get to rock the mic with. So starting off with my man, Kales, up in the Northwest, let the people know where you're at and what you're up to. Um, you can find me on um, Instagram and Twitter under the alias Black Nerd Magic. You can find me in Facebook um, under my government name, Calesse Davis. And you can also find me on Letterboxd. I write film reviews on there as Black Nerd Magic. And uh, honestly, I just got back to work last week, so I'm trying to figure my way back into a routine. So my movie watching and my show watching has been off, and I'm feeling in a little bit of a funk. But I'm going to get it back this weekend, though. Rest and recover, and I'm going to be back to work on Monday. <laughs> hey, I like it, I like it, I like it. E-Man, let the people know what's up and where you at. Um, first of all, I just want to say to all the listeners, if you have questions, comments about any of the shows or movies you were talking about, hit us up. Feel free. If you got questions, please, like... Let us know what they are and, you know. And if you're not comfortable, you can always private message us as well. If you're not comfortable right. making something a public statement because you're worried about how people will view it, we're more than happy to talk with you privately as well. Yeah, people be hitting my inbox for a lot of different reasons and questions. So might as well just, you know, make it something productive, right? So, um, but for myself, you know, I started a whole new little show on my YouTube channel, E-Man's Movie Reviews. It is called The Recap, and I basically surmise all the entertainment news. Well, not all of it, just usually the best stuff, you know, the more interesting stuff. And uh, just get you caught up, you know, on what you might have missed. So if you're the type that, kind of just wants to be in the loop and you want to be in the know tune in emails movie reviews eventually i'll turn it into a podcast you know i gotta stop being lazy about it but um you know other than that yeah just uh hit me up emails movie reviews on facebook best movie news memes jokes trailers all that good stuff we'll have a good time hey and the queen aaron hunley let the people know where you at and what up 
Well, you can find me on Instagram, essentially Erin. My first name is spelled very strangely. It's E-R-Y-N-N-E, similarly to how we spelled gays earlier, G-A-Z-E. You can find me on Twitter, Erin underscore Hundley, mainly because essentially Erin is too long for a Twitter handle. They won't let me change it, and I can't shorten it. So, uh, yeah, you can find my ish there or at essentiallyerin.com. Hey. <laughs> and yo, you can find your boy. I'm at Kobe told me on all the socials on Twitter and Instagram and I'm on Facebook at Kobe Mac when I'm in the mood to write. You can check out my website at Kobe told me dot com and on my podcast, the Kobe told me podcast. I finally had my first ever guest, uh, Rosa Parra of Rosa Reviews. Kobe told me about Rosa Reviews. It's up now. It's a great conversation. Just kick back talking about films and how they intersect. It's an awesome time. But of course, this is Feeling Film, the Black Label. Thanks so much for spending time with us at the Roundtable. And until next time, keep Feeling Film. Peace.